With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC on a Friday before the weekend where Liverpool take on Everton at Anfield in a game that is of massive importance to both outside of the fact that it is the Merseyside derby. You have Liverpool going for the quadruple, the unthinkable quadruple, and you have Everton going towards unthinkable relegation. Everton, who have broken every spending rule in the book, spent absolute fortunes on players and are one point ahead of Burnley with a more difficult run-in. They do have a game in hand, but they also have a worse goal difference. If Burnley beat Wolves or even draw at Wolves on Saturday, Everton will go into this game in the bottom three. Burnley beat Southampton last night. They got a draw at West Ham at the weekend. Their confidence seems to be up. They're getting a bit of a new manager bounce from this caretaker team they've got at the minute. And maybe they'd be better off just running the season through with them if things continue to go the way they are. But if Everton are in the bottom three come Sunday and then we give them a hammering, it's very difficult to see how they stay up. Especially if Burnley win the game tomorrow or Sunday. Is it Sunday? It's Sunday. If Burnley's game is before us on Sunday. So if Burnley win... About 45 minutes before kickoff, Everton will find out they're in the bottom three and they're two points below Burnley. Do we think these players have the mental toughness to deal with that? Because I don't. Do we think their manager has the savvy to get his players in the right mindset? Because I don't. Frank Lampard's greatest managerial achievement thus far is shouting at Jurgen Klopp. That's it. He failed at Derby. He failed at Chelsea. He is failing rather spectacularly at Everton. The draw they got against Leicester was his first draw. Before that, he'd won five and lost eight. Two of those five wins were FA Cup games. One against Brentford, who clearly didn't care, and one against the mighty Boreham Wood. I feel it is only right that we smack them about. 
on Sunday and put four or five past them and hammer home our advantage in terms of local superiority, in terms of general superiority. This Everton team will likely come out looking to be physical. Lampard will have G'd them up. But if in the back of their minds they're thinking, we're in the bottom three here, that is going to be a devastating blow to them. That is going to put uncertainty among those players, panic among those players. Because, see, it's one thing being at the bottom of the table, which they have been since Lampard took over. They've yet to be in the bottom three. That has not yet happened. But they play us. Then they play Chelsea. Then they have to go to Leicester. And then it's Watford away. And Watford are going to have a massive say in who stays up and who goes down. And wouldn't it just be a thing of beauty if Watford beat Everton, as they did earlier in the season at Goodison, and maybe just rolled over for Burnley and let Burnley take a nice three points there. Would it be good for the City for Everton to go down? No, probably not. But in truth, if they went down and came back up within, say, two years, it wouldn't be a massive blow. It would be bad if they went down and stayed down. If they did a Sunderland, went down, went down again. That's not outside the realms of possibility, given their financial situation. Given the fact that should they go down, there's a lot of players who will ask to leave. Jordan Pickford is not going to the championship. Richarlison is not going to the championship. Calvert-Lewin is not going to the championship. Neither is Yeri Mina. Neither is Dukure. They're key players. They may not be great players, but they're key players for them. I don't imagine Deli Ali will be chuffed about the idea of a season in the championship. So lads like Deli, potentially Ben Godfrey, Michaelenko, Alex Awobi, those big earners, they might end up being loaned out for the year with Everton taking the mindset of, right, we'll get you off our books for this season, and when we come back up, then we'll take you on permanently. But if they go out on loan for a season, and let's say they don't do particularly well, and Everton don't come back up, well, then what do they do? Loan them again? Because all that does is decrease their, their value. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin will be out the door. There's no question. By one week after Everton's relegation was confirmed, those two would have handed in transfer requests. Pickford's already been relegated once with Sunderland, and he couldn't get out of there quickly enough. Now, he might, he might have the type of mindset where he would stay another year and give them that year in the championship. He might need to speak to Gareth Southgate and see if, you know, it would affect his England standing. Southgate might tell him to give it a year and see. But the problem they have, outside of the fact that their better players would want to leave, is that there's a lot of players there who are bang average and earning substantial amounts of money and likely not going to attract much in the way of offers. I'm thinking Michael Keane. 
Now, I don't know what wage he's on, but he costs 30 million. You'd have to imagine he's on 60 to 80 grand a week. Fabian Delph is probably on similar. Andros Townsend will be on similar. Begovic is going to be on decent money. Andre Gomes is going to be on very good money coming from Barcelona. Jean-Philippe Gabamon, the poor fella, has barely played since he signed because he's been injured all the time, but he's going to be on decent money. You start to look up and down that squad, there's a lot of talent there in terms of you could put together the bones of something. Like, I'm not a Pickford fan, but Pickford in goal, a back three of Godfrey, Mina, and Michael Enko. That's not bad. Patterson at right wing back. Niels and Kunku, who they own, but is out on loan at standard the age at left wing back. That's decent. Maybe you get Gabam and Fit and firing in the middle of the field and you put him with Dekure. You play Delhi behind the front two. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. That's not a bad team. If you could scrape to stay up, that's not a bad team. That with a decent manager probably gets you 14th. And then you've still got Damari Gray. You've still got Anthony Gordon, players like that to come off the bench. You could go back four, obviously. You can go Patterson and Michael Enko as fullbacks, Godfrey and, and Mina as your centre-backs, the same two in midfield. Maybe leave Delhi out, play Gordon one wing, Damari Gray the other, and then the same front two. And then if the front two did leave, regardless of staying up or going down, you'll have the money to replace them. And maybe you can upgrade then in midfields. Maybe you can get a better center, a better goalkeeper. But, you know, if they stay up, it's not doomsday. If they stay up, they shouldn't automatically be put into the relegation battle for next season unless Lampard is still the manager. Because there's enough there to not be in this situation. There's no way Everton should be in this situation, not with the players they have. I get that they didn't back Rafa last summer, and Rafa is partially to blame, and you could apportion whatever percentage of the blame you want to him. But... There's no excuse for them to be where they are. Absolutely none. Rafa got sacked on the 16th of January. The 16th of January, they had played 22 games. After 22 games, they were 16th. They just dropped to 16th. They hadn't been below 15th before that. They'd been as high as 4th at one point. They were top 7 across the first 7 weeks, top 8 across the first 9 weeks. Top 10 across the first 10 weeks. They were a top half team for half of Rafa's time in charge. They went in that bad run when everybody got injured. But they were 16th when Lampard took over. And it's not like a thing that Lampard has had the most difficult games in the world. They went to Newcastle, who at the time were poor. They played Leeds at home. They played a hit and miss Southampton team. City at home, whatever. And remember, they should have got something there. They got hammered by Spurs. They lost at home to Wolves. They did beat Newcastle at home. They lost away to West Ham, away to Burnley. They beat Manchester United and drew with Leicester. You start looking at the rest of their fixtures. And it really isn't good reading. It really isn't. They get us away. 
Chelsea home, Leicester away, Watford away. Then they get Brentford and Crystal Palace at home. Now, in theory, both of those teams should be on the beach. And Everton have already beaten Brentford fairly comfortably under Lampard. But Brentford are on a really good run at the minute. Palace may want to finish out their season on a high. So there's no guarantee they get anything from those games. Maybe they get a draw in each one. Maybe they win one, lose one. Maybe they win one, draw one. But I wouldn't write that down as six points. And then they're away to to Arsenal on the last day. That's horrendous. Arsenal are going to be going for top four. They've got seven games left. Four you wouldn't expect them to take anything from. And then the three, Watford, Brentford, Palace, they're more difficult than people are making it. And that's, they're within the space of eight days. Look at Burnley's running. It's not easy, but it's more favourable. They get Wolves at home this weekend. Wolves season has really sort of, sort of dipped off. They're away to Burnley. Are away to, to Burnley. They're away to Watford. Again, it'll be tough, same as Everton, but Watford don't tend to turn up against teams like Burnley. They tend to roll over for them. Look at them against Leeds. They play Villa at home, who aren't great. They play Spurs away. That's their toughest game. They play Villa away. Again, you just don't know what Villa you get, but could they win one and lose one? Absolutely. And then they play Newcastle on the final day of the season. At home. And if Burnley go into that game knowing they need to win to stay up, I can't see anything other than a Burnley win. So I can easily see Burnley taking 10 points from their last six games. Because it's favourable. Beat Wolves at home, beat Villa at home, draw away to Watford and beat Newcastle at home. That's all they need to do. None of that is outside the realms of possibility. And then even if Everton beat Watford, beat Brentford and beat Palace, Everton will go down on goal difference. And that's being, I think, generous to Everton, saying that they'll win all three. I think it's easier to see Burnley taking 10 points than it is to see Everton taking nine. It's going to make for a really interesting run in between those two. But Everton are in dire straits. And as I said, if Burnley win on Sunday and Everton find out 45 minutes before kickoff that they're now in the bottom three, that will be panic stations. That will be panic stations. And we might just absolutely annihilate them. In which case, it could be the worst weekend Everton fans have had in a long, long time. But not as bad as the weekend that could see us win the quadruple with them having already been relegated. That, my friends, that would be a really, really good time to contact your Everton friends. Just reach out. Reach out, ask ask them how things are going. Um. Our team for the weekend is likely to see some changes from the United game, you'd imagine. Uh, I think we could see a midfield potentially of Henderson, Fabinho and Jones. Uh, I think if Bobby's okay to start, he may not be. Klopp's press conference didn't give much away. 
I think Jota comes into the front three. Karl Matic said yesterday he wouldn't be surprised if Divock started. I could see that as well. I think there'll be a change at the back, at least one, maybe two, but at least one. Because we've got bigger games coming up. And it's funny to look at a Merseyside derby and say, this is just, you know, a game we need to get through. It's not necessarily one of the important games left, but when we get Villarreal on Wednesday in the Champions League, that's a much bigger game. Newcastle away next weekend is a bigger game because it's in between the two Villarreal games than the Villarreal second leg. Then Spurs at home. Then we get Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Wolves final day of the season. And of course, there is the small matter of a potential Champions League final to come. Everton is about one, two, three, four, five, six. It's about the eighth most important game we might have left this season. Which is crazy. Uh, Klopp's done his press conference. He's waxed lyrical about Naby. He's waxed lyrical about Thiago. Salah has done an interview. says not everything about the contract situation is about money. I think it's probably about years. I do. I think he probably wants four years. He spoke about Ian Rush's record and says he wants to get to 300 goals. That's going to take him four to five years. I said before, you look at Salah's numbers, what he's done so far at the club, and it's not that difficult to project out him getting close to Ian Rush's record. You know, in his time at the club, he's got 155 goals. You could see him easily get five more. I think that's conservative the rest of the season. That gets him to 160. 160 in five years. Why couldn't he replicate that across the next five years? Now, admittedly, he did score 44 in one season, but he also only scored 23 in one season. He's averaged 32 goals a season across his five years. There's no reason, none at all, that he can't do that for another five years. And if he does that, that gets him to 320 goals at the age of 35. Ian Rush has 346. He'd be 26 goals behind, 35 years of age, still fit as a fiddle. You transition him into more of a squad role, have him coming off the bench, starting against the dross. All he'd need to do is be Jamie Vardy for two years. 14 goals one year, 13 the next. All of a sudden, Salah is Liverpool's all-time record scorer. And the 160 across the next five years, I think that's conservative. He could do 170, 180. 170 is only 34 goals a season. It's only a difference of two a season. 180 is 36 goals a season. If he does 180, he's on 340 goals after. He'd only need one season to beat Rush. 
I mean, if he could continue playing the way he's played this season without AFCON interference and being run into the ground by the Egyptian national team, he could do it within the five years. He genuinely could do it within the five years. If he gets to 160 this year, he's 186 goals behind Ian Rush. That's 39 goals a season. Would leave him one shy if he did it for five straight years. I'm wrong. It's 37 goals a season. He could do that. He's got the talent. He's going to have the team around him because Ali signed up long-term. Trent has signed up long-term and is only going to get better. Robbo signed long-term. Virgil signed long-term. Fab has signed long-term. Diaz Jota signed long-term. Question mark over Mane, obviously. We don't know what his future will hold. Question over Naby. I assume he gets a long-term contract. I'd be hoping we'll extend Thiago for a year or two after his current contract expires. You've got the likes of Harvey Elliott and people like that that are going to come through. Fabio Carvalho signed up for next season. All these young players, they're just going to continue this team as an elite level team plus whoever we bring in like with the best team in the world when it comes to the transfer market so this team isn't going away and you know if Salah gets the bit between his teeth and gets himself in a position where that record becomes really really realistic he he will go hell for leather he really will go hell for leather at it Ian Rush played 660 games for us. Salah could break that record in less than 600. Less than 600 games. And the thing is, the thing with Mo is, he played 52, 52, 48, 51, and 42 games. The guy is a machine. He's an absolute machine. He doesn't get hurt. He's got the rest of this season to play out. He's already averaging 49 games a season for us. He does not get hurt. Last season, he played an all-bar one Premier League game. The year before, all-bar four. The year before, he played all of them. This season, he'll miss two because he was at AFCON. Not because he was injured, but because he was at AFCON. First season, I think, was the same, wasn't it? Wasn't he at AFCON that year as well? So, with Mo, there's no reason to think there's going to be a drop-off. I know people will point to, well, he had this bad run. But how bad was the actual run? Like, how bad was Salah's actual run this season? Because he was otherworldly to begin the year. He was otherworldly up until December. And then he had one or two questionable games around Christmas time. Like he wasn't great at Leicester, obviously, missed the penalty. Didn't have a particularly good game away to Spurs. But he was really good against Chelsea. Then he went to AFCON. He came back. He came off the bench against Leicester. He had a bit of a rough outing against 
Burnley. He was good against Norwich, good against Leeds. He was okay against West Ham. Scored against Brighton. Came off the bench against Arsenal. I mean, how, where was this dreadful run? There was about a, a month where he was trying too hard. There was about a month where he was trying too hard. I would say, actually, to be fair, that Brighton game, he didn't play well. He scored the penalty, but he didn't play well. Watford, he wasn't good. But City away, he was or City away, he was good. United, he was really good. City in the FA Cup, I thought he played well. I mean, I am. I know he didn't have a good cup final against Chelsea. That's that's fine. We all accept that. But I, I don't really see where this dreadful run has he dropped from the level he was at pre Christmas. Yes. Because the level he was at pre-Christmas, the only player who sustained that across a season in the last 20 years is Messi. And as great as Salah is, he, he isn't Lionel Messi. The problem with Salah is he's judged at a different level to other players. Certain players can skate week after week after week with bad performances and never get it mentioned because they're important for something else. But when you look at Salah's actual production, other than goal scoring, he's actually not dropped at all. His chance creation still high. His one-on-ones are still good. Like, I don't know what people want from him. All I know is, we need to give him his contract. I don't care what the money says. Give him whatever figures he wants. Give him however many years he wants. Because if you give him that five-year contract, in all likelihood, you're going to win more major honours. He's going to go close to that record, if not get right there to it and break it. And then we're having a debate about whether or not not whether Mo Salah should get a contract, but whether he should get a statue. Because he could well go down as the best player the club has had. Until someone passes him. Like Trent, maybe. But still, like, give the man his contract. Just get it done. Uh, I'm, I'm out of here for today. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game. Liverpool signed Ben Doak from Scotland. Six-figure deal. So probably quarter of a million. Highly talented player. It's all you need to know. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.